Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So, if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of the Back Pain Podcast. In today's episode, Rob talks to Jack March, a specialist rheumatology physio, all about spondyloarthropathy, also known as AXPAR or AS, as well as other types of inflammatory back pain. They discuss how you can tell if your back pain has any signs that it may need further investigation, or what you can do if you have been given the diagnosis of inflammatory arthritis, AS or AXPAR. Enjoy. So welcome back to another episode of the Back Pain Podcast. Today's guest is Jack March. Jack is a physiotherapist uh, and he specializes in treating rheumatic conditions, including those which affect the spine. So we're going to have a chat today about those rheumatic conditions that possibly give rise to a bit of back pain. Jack's going to give you a bit of background, how they cause pain and what you can do to help yourself. So welcome, Jack. How are you today? Uh, Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks. I'm pleased to be here. It's not very often I get to be on this side of the question. So (laughs) yeah, for those who don't know, Jack also is a co-host of the the Physio Matters podcast, which some people may may have listened to. So he's uh, used to being the host rather than... uh, rather than actually being the guest. So Jack, why don't you tell us about you and about physiotherapy and about your specialty and how you kind of got into rheumatology? Yeah, no worries. So um, I actually qualified as a physio in 2008, which seems a long time ago now. Um, and then just did the normal thing, did my rotations, which most physiotherapists do in the NHS, and then sort of fell into a rheumatology role, really. Um, I was... Uh, worked in a worked in a hospital and a job came up in rheumatology, which I applied for and managed to get. For some reason they thought I was better than the other candidates, so that was good. Yeah. Um, and then we just was lucky with they were super supportive in that department. Got to do a lot of training and go on courses, uh, that kind of thing, which sort of um, led me down the road of specialising in rheumatology. Really, um, no more no more complex or simple than that. I just sort of fell into it, enjoyed yeah. it, seemed to be quite good at it. And uh, gone from there, really. Brilliant. That's the uh, that's the best way, usually. And are you mainly NHS, solo NHS? Do you have any private work as well, or do you? Do... Uh, yeah, so I left the NHS in 2016 um, for various reasons, but um, I now have quite a few different jobs. Um, the bulk of my time, I work for Nuffield Health. Um, they're equivalent of um, extended scope physio, um, so I do. Um, assessments and triage over the phone um, yep. so most patients aren't in front of me but we we deal with clients all over the UK so that requires me being on the phone um, I can refer onwards um, to consultants order imaging blood results uh, case managed clients that kind of thing um, look after them as they're under sort of physiotherapists osteopaths chiropractors that kind of thing so that's quite good uh, sort of day-to-day um, and then I have my own I use the term business lightly. It's not really a business, but um, I provide training for uh, physiotherapists, again, osteopaths on rheumatology. So mostly centering around the recognition when the people come into their clinic. So as we'll talk about today, most most people have 
what we would call sort of normal back pain in inverted commas or mechanical back pain. Um, and then I teach around um, assessing people for when they might have something not quite so simple, um, a little bit more complicated that might need further investigations. Um, and then, as you mentioned right at the start of the show, I also co-host a podcast which we run um, aimed at physiotherapists uh, on all sorts of uh, topics of basically aimed at musculoskeletal um, therapists, but we covered a lot of topics. So um, yeah, that's the mainstay of my week, really complicated. Brilliant. It's r- r- rather busy week then, uh, yeah. <laughs> I take it. Yeah. Okay. So as I said, you're, you're normally probably, a lot of people probably listening to this don't realize that you can order blood tests and images and direct referrals to consultants. A lot of people think that, you know, they, you know most people are aware of physiotherapists and, and people who are in those roles of you just see them and then you need to go back to the GP for those type of uh, investigations. It's interesting to have someone that actually can go refer straight back into that system as required, that extended scope, extended scope role, if you will. Yeah, it's a real challenge because we, again, a lot of your listeners won't sort of be well aware of this, but a lot of the sort of drive around um, GPs, physiotherapists is try and reduce the amount of imaging that we're doing. So the re- reduction of x-rays and MRIs um, and traditionally we thought that that would be sort of the best way forwards to find out what people's was causing people's symptoms. But the more we learn, the more complicated we realize that is. So yeah. um, it, it is a difficult job to convince people that they don't really need an MRI and um, they can carry on and it's safe to do so. So that's most of my job, really. Yeah, it's very difficult. The first, mo- yeah. first question most people come in when they ask is, I think I need a scan for this. And it's yeah. kind of educating them as to why and that might not necessarily always be the best idea in that in that instance. So we mentioned there are some rheumatic conditions that, that cause back pain. What are the ones or, you know, I know we're kind of focusing around one in particular on this episode. What are the ones which you see on a day-to-day basis uh, or the most common that will be a cause of back pain? Yeah, so the most common one um, is axial spondyloarthritis, or it used to be called um, ankylosing spondylitis, uh, which we can come to later as to what the difference is if we need to. Um, so that would be the main one, really, um, that causes specific back pain. The others, um, so the most common other inflammatory or rheumatology conditions would be um, sort of psoriatic arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, and they can cause uh, back pain or psoriatic arthritis certainly can, but it would be uh, sort of an offshoot of something like axial spondyloarthritis. And again, we can come back to that, um, what that means. Um, But rheumatoid arthritis, it used to be the cause of more back pain than it is now, but people are a lot better medically managed now than they used to be. So I would say if you've been diagnosed in the last five or even 10 years, the odds of it causing you back pain are extremely small now. Um, There'll be the odd person, but you know, it would just, you would have other problems before that would occur. So you'd be under a rheumatologist. And to be honest, if you were diagnosed re- relatively recently with rheumatoid arthritis, it is unlikely to cause you back pain. That doesn't mean you can't get back pain of like everybody else will get, but um, it would be very unlikely. There are some other unusual types, um, which probably outside the scope of us talking about yeah. today. Um, they're extremely rare, but do happen. Um, but yeah, the main one would be the axial spondyloarthritis or ankylosing spondylitis, really. So focusing on that, do you want to go a little bit more into what it actually means? Because it's a lot of a lot of letters and very long words. Letters, and it's, it's, yeah, a lot of letters, not very easy to say. No. I liked it better when it was ankylosing spondylitis. It's easier to roll off the yes, tongue. Yes, slightly. Yeah. yeah, axial spondyloarthritis or um, AXPAR is what we tend to yeah. uh, revert back to. So Basically, so if we take AXPAR, it's an umbrella term. So it covers a number of different conditions. um, And these things are a bit of a spectrum. 
But basically speaking, what happens is the the ligaments, where the ligaments attach to bone becomes inflamed. So um, if you imagine when you hit yourself with a hammer, so I've been doing some DIY this morning, if I hit myself with a hammer, um, then I'll get an inflammatory reaction. So what that would do is the body's body's protective system, healing anything that's gone wrong or damaged or anything like that. So it goes red, it goes hot, it goes swollen. I would imagine most people would understand what that's like. Um, so the same thing happens. It's the same reaction, um, but at where the ligaments attach to bone, um, which is called an enthesitis, if people want to look that up. Um, now, the process for that is rather complicated, but to simplify it down, essentially, your immune system recognizes cells that are yours and cells that are not yours. So let's say a bacteria or a splinter get into your system. Your immune system is able to recognize that those aren't you. Um, and then an inflammatory reaction will occur. So again, if you've ever had a splinter, you'll notice around the edge, it goes sort of red. That's the inflammatory system kicking in, recognizing. Um, so in, in something like axial spondyloarthritis and the other rheumatology conditions, the same, but at different structures. Um, so what will happen is the, the immune system loses that ability to tell those cells that connect the ligaments to the bone or tendons to the bone as well, uh, loses the ability to distinguish those as you and they think it's something else. So what you'll get is those tissues are completely healthy. There's nothing wrong with them. So if the the place that will happen is it, it mostly in the spine. So where your spinal ligaments that hold your spine very stable attach into the into the vertebrae and the bones, they start to become inflamed. There's nothing wrong with them at all, but the body is reacting to them as if they're not you. So you then get this fallout of some very some quite specific symptoms, which, again, we can talk about later. So it's very, very complicated. It's very related to a lot of different things, um, which, again, will come on to who gets it uh, probably later. Um, but it um, goes very, very deep. You, could, you can blow your mind with sort of biochemistry and immunolo immunology, which is another word I can't say, uh, and white blood cells. But essentially, your, your spinal ligaments become inflamed where they attach to the bone. So you get this, um, you get some very specific symptoms, like I said, attached to that. Um, and then everything else that falls out of that is a subset of, of that condition. So you'll get some specific things that are related to that, which so you would essentially, let's say, um, let's say you had that inflammation in your spine and you went to a rheumatologist, you might not be diagnosed with an AXPAR, an axial spondyloarthritis, you might be diagnosed with, with a subset uh, condition of that, like psoriatic arthritis, yeah. um, or like we said, ankylosing spondylitis, which actually in the end is more down to what your x-rays show. But again, we don't need to worry about that. Um, so it, it is very, very complicated. It's while I would say it's uncommon, it's not rare. So it's it's uncommon as in within the realms of how many people get back pain. So we know that a lot of the population will get back pain. Um, a lot of the population live with back pain and a lot of the population get back pain every year. Yeah. Um, so within that population, it's um, it's uncommon for you to then go on to have this inflammatory type back pain. But we can pick those people out a little bit more easily. Um, when you look over the entire population, it's probably about 1% of the population have an axial spondyloarthritis over their lifetime. Okay. Um, and some of those will be shorter lived. Not all of them will go on to be chronic, uh, but some of them will be. Okay. So, and so the key thing as well to take away from that is, is it's not a, a, a consequence of any damage. And I think a lot of people will, will consider that, that they've got this condition that 
they may have had back pain previously, which would have been a normal back pain and associate that with now this new condition they've been diagnosed with. And they think it may have been because they had a fall or did gymnastics as a child or something like that as well. And this is a completely separate condition, but just because it's in the spine, it often gets kind of mished together with a lot of other, a lot of other conditions. So that's really interesting, that kind of umbrella term, which I know a lot of people aren't aware that ankylosing spondylitis is no longer called ankylosing spondylitis and falls under that umbrella of of axillospondylarthritis yeah so so ankylosing spondylitis still exists you you can still be diagnosed with it um but it is a very very specific diagnosis which i won't bore people with um to do with x-ray what your x-rays show um but it would be so if you left uh some people with axial spondyloarthritis alone and never treated them with any um medication they would go on to develop ankylosing spondylitis it's sort of a complication it basically means the ankylosing is fusion so your some of your joints become fused um but not everybody goes on to develop that so it would be whilst no one would pick you up if you said oh i've got ankylosing spondylitis and you didn't have fusion it is it is sort of an important medical distinction as much as anything else um that it, it isn't technically the same as axial spondyloarthritis although you would have had axial spondyloarthritis to then get ankylosing spondylitis yeah. if that makes sense yeah so now our, our imaging modalities and our pre-diagnosis and everything's a lot lot better you'll probably see a lot on our medical management you'll see a lot less people be diagnosed with that as their primary onset i guess hopefully none hopefully none if if, if we're good <laughs> yeah so and these conditions as well are they curable generally do they go away are they you know do we just manage the symptoms what are they the, the general prognosis for someone that has been recently diagnosed with axbar so again that's another question that sounds simple on the face of it but actually is quite complicated to answer so um you will have some people who will get um sort of a short-lived axial spondyloarthritis so um there are types which are related to infections so people will have gastroenteritis or sometimes a sexually transmitted infection which will trigger the immune system and they will have that so those sort of symptoms manifest themselves in their spine for about usually about a year um and then it sort of peters itself out a few people of a few of those people will go on to develop a more chronic version um of that but it's sort of a small subset so those people it will go away the the main bulk of people that we're talking about it is a um it is an alteration of your immune system so the immune system has has gone wrong to a for want of a better term um and that is not curable is is not the right word but certainly manageable and as we said just a minute ago the idea of medical management now is to induce remission so rather than um as we would use with other medical conditions rather than curative we want to induce remission so the immune system is not having this chronic um turnover where it keeps stimulating itself because what will happen is that the again get a bit deep into biochemistry but the as the as you get inflammation the inflammation will trigger more inflammation if that makes sense so you get into this chronic cycle where it stimulates itself so what we do or what the rheumatologists do is with medications they settle that down then it won't trigger itself and carry on so you a lot of people will get remission but in in all honesty 
in a good proportion of cases, what will happen is it will wax and wane over time. So it will come and go over an individual period. So some people it's there for a week, gone for a few weeks. Some people it's there for a few months. Some people it's there for a few years, but it will wax and wane up and down. And the idea of the medication is to keep that as stable as possible. So it would be very difficult for me to to sit here and say, you know, in some people it, it is cured because in re in reality it's in remission can come back. So it isn't, um, it isn't a nice thing to hear for people who have been diagnosed, yeah. but the better thing is that the drugs that we have available to us now are so much more effective that actually people do go back to their, um, normal lives. their jobs and their normal lives and doing everything. And the really, um, the the again for want of a better term the disability created by it is much reduced now uh, compared to what we have and the the most important thing is being diagnosed early that's yeah. the of the all the prognostic factors so a, a factor that would uh in cause you to have a worse outcome um all of them it, it's early diagnosis is is the best uh, outcome yeah understand so these patients then who haven't yet had a diagnosis and might be having back pain, is there a, a typical pattern that people with Axbar, axial spondylarthritis generally present with? Is there signs and symptoms you look out for or that people can be on the lookout for that there might not be a typical, what we call a normal, whatever normal is, you know, mechanical type back pain where it's just a, a muscle strain or a, a joint that's a bit irritated? Yeah. So if you, um, if, if I think about my normal clinic, someone who presents with what I would sort of deem sort of normal back pain, um, then they tend to have a triggering event. Um, so they'll have lifted a box or twisted or, you know, gardened too much or something Sneezed, like that. yeah. Sneezed, yeah. Um, and they they have a particular pattern where it tends to be worse when they do more things um, or it tends to be made worse by specific things. So bending, for example, tends to be a classic one. With the axe bars, you get a very specific pattern. Now, again, it becomes complicated when you talk about different groups, but essentially um, almost all of pe all people diagnosed, um, their onset of symptoms will be under 45. So it is a younger person's um condition okay so it's not that when the person um, presents to me in clinic that they're under 45 because they may have had symptoms for a number of years and i think it's important just to at this juncture say um as of 2016 the research getting a little bit old but the delay to diagnosis for these conditions was still eight and a half years so wow. you know you could have an onset at, at 42 43 and be in your 50s by the time it's um, by the time it's diagnosed. So it's not a, just because someone's over 45 doesn't eliminate it but the onset should be under 45. Okay. Um, so that would be point one. Uh, point two is um, a classic symptom is spinal stiffness. Um, so that will typically present first thing in the morning and it is quite protracted. So it will last well over 30 minutes. The diagnostic criteria is more up around 60 before it starts to improve at all. So people will say, oh, um, you know, my back just feels really stiff. I can't stretch it. I can't do anything until I get to work and then it will start to ease off. And then it tends to be better through the day. And with that, they tend to be a lot better with activity. So a lot of people will, they don't want to sit at their desk. They don't want to sit in the car. They want to be walking, doing things. I've had patients before who just spend four or five hours in the gym because it's the best place for them. They feel right. more comfortable. Whereas if you speak to anybody, you uh, your listeners, if they speak to someone who's had back pain, normal type back pain for a long time, the more they do, the worse it is. Yeah. Uh, whereas these guys, these people, it's very much not not like that. Um, so that's stiffness. Um, and then the other thing sort of related to that is pain and stiffness that wakes people in the second half of the night. 
Um, so they'll go to sleep fine. Um, and again, that differs slightly from our regular type people. They struggle to get comfortable when they lie down in bed because they got a lot of associated muscle spasm usually. Um, but they'll wake 2, 3 a.m. They've got to get out of bed, move around, loosen themselves off. Again, I've had people go out and do the gardening at four in the morning because they just can't get comfortable. Really? That wow. eases them off. Yeah. Um, and, and they feel much better and then they're able to get more comfortable. Um, so those things added together, those are quite classical signs. Um, and that those things will, will will really dictate whether I then go on to ask lots of other questions. It does get more complicated. Some people will have a combination of those symptoms. Some people will only have one. Um, the other thing that we look out for is a sort of associated what we would call past medical history or current history um, of other inflammatory conditions. And some people don't know other conditions are inflammatory. So, um, for example, psoriasis is a similar condition, but of the skin. Um, and we know that of people who have psoriasis, about 25 percent of them will go on to die, to develop an associated arthritis. Um, so that not all of those are in the spine. Um, most of them will be what we call peripheral, so hands and feet. Um, but yeah, about a quarter of those will go on to develop arthritis and some will have an inflammatory back component to them. Um, so, for example, and I, I think I'm a little bit more on the safer side than a lot of people. Um, but um, so it, let's say I had someone who had um, back pain. And they didn't have a really good cause for it. So they hadn't fallen down the stairs or something um, and they had psoriasis. I would really be thinking as to whether that needs further investigation. That's how sort of close those things yeah. are knitted together. Um, other conditions associated with with uh, it are um, uh, colitis and Crohn's uh, disease. So they're inflammatory sort of gut problems. Um, and the spinal condition can actually be driven by those inflammatory problems rather than be and again, we get into biochemistry as to separating that, separating those out, but um, those can be related. Um, and also iritis and uveitis, which are inflammatory problems of the eye, um, which is extremely highly correlated. Um, it's, and so um, <clears throat> we'll come on to talk about NAS later, who are the support group, but um, they've yeah. created um, posters, which are sort of, they're called back pain plus. So they, they'll say, you know, have you got back pain plus any of these conditions? Um, and then it's not that though that's diagnostic or anything like that, but it, it just warrants further, further questioning. So further if, investigation. If, yeah. Exactly. So it, it, if um, um, if someone had again, like I say, if someone had psoriasis and back pain, I'd be really fishing around, seeing what their nighttime pattern is, what they feel like first time in the morning, how long it's been going on for, whether it comes back and goes, those kind of things. Um, so, again, if, if anybody is sort of worried about their back pain and thinking, oh, I feel stiff, um, then it is really something that those other conditions are what we look at really yeah. if they've been diagnosed um so it's it, it is complicated and it isn't easy um if it was then we wouldn't have an eight and a half year di delay yeah. to diagnosis that's incredible um, and i wouldn't have a job yeah i wouldn't yeah. have a job teaching other physios about it so exactly. um you know it, it is difficult and i think a lot of people um especially if you go to a gp appointment and it's not very long um you can feel a bit dismissed sometimes yeah and to be honest you know 95% plus of back pain is is not anything like this or anything worrying or anything particularly long term um and it is quite 
it can be you can do sometimes I fall foul of doing some of these questions in my head and not explaining them to people. And I think sometimes that communication might break down a little bit. So it might have been thought about, but not necessarily voiced to you, which is not easy. Yes. So then once that index of suspicion that you have has been raised and you're thinking, well, mm. you know, I'm, I'm not concerned, but, you know, or slightly more concerned or uh, that this patient might have XBAR or something along those lines. What's your next step? Is that imaging? Is it blood test? Do you refer them on? What's your your initial step? And then how does that manifest over the next few coming weeks and months? Yeah, so it's, again, again complicated. Um, yeah. And to be honest, it slightly depends where I am and what I'm doing. Um, so the um, so first of all, I would make sure that I've covered all of the questions that I would want to cover as we spoke about those other health questions, um, the sort of daily pattern, those kind of things. I'd also ask about family history of inflammatory conditions and other arthritis. So other joint pains is another one that I'll ask about. Um, but it's really the next steps. And again, this slightly varies for me as it does to what I give my advice to other therapists. So like I said, like we said, I'm lucky enough that I can order imaging. However, the MRI scan that you need for these types of conditions is is quite specific. So your the radiology department you're going to, you need to have spoken to them in order to get the right images. Otherwise, you'll miss the inflammatory component. Um, and the other thing is that you do need to have your pelvis joints, so the sacroiliac joints done, as well as the whole spine. And that takes a really long time unless you're doing the right sequences on the MRI. So when I'm working in my Nuffield role, I don't actually do any of that. I just skip that and refer directly to rheumatology. I'm lucky in that because it's private, the private world, those appointments come around very quickly. Yeah. Um, so actually it doesn't delay anybody's diagnostics. When I did my job, when I used to, I used to work for a while in uh, orthopedics um, in a foot and ankle clinic, and we would sometimes see people like this. And I would know that referring into rheumatology took a lot longer um, but I was working at the location of the, de the radiology department. So I was able to get what I wanted yeah. and that would speed life up. So it does depend slightly what situation it is in. Um, but essentially um, it is a specific MRI that you need. There are blood tests that are needed as well, um, which are inflammatory markers and a genetic test called HLA B27, which um, is prevalent in about, is present in about 8% of the population. Um, and about 20% of those people will go on to get an inflammatory um, spinal condition. So again, it's not diagnostic, but it just adds weight to, to the clinical index of yeah. suspicion, as you mentioned. So technically a diagnosis can only be made by a rheumatologist. So me and you, for example, would never make that diagnosis, but we would just suspect it. Yeah, and refer in. And I'm guessing most people in the NHS would go via the GP route to, if he was worried about it, would order the blood tests and possibly then refer on for imaging whilst they're waiting for that whilst rheumatology waiting. referral. Exactly. And it does kind of depend on locally, really, as to what the pathways are and how things are accessed. So if you're able to, you know, if, if it's able to be directly accessed rheumatology, that's the best route. But most places it will be via the GP. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge difference in GP services and, you know, orthopedic rheumatology services across the whole country. So, you know, in what's in one county will differ completely from an, from another county. So it's a, I'm afraid it's not one quite one size one size fits one all. size fits all. No, not at all. So once they have that then diagnosis, what does the picture look like for the patient? So they I assume they'll obviously, as you mentioned, they would have been told this by a consultant rheumatologist um, who gives them that diagnosis and says, you know, this is X. This is what we're going to do. What is what are they are going to do? Are they? Is it mainly then medical management first and pre, first and foremost? 
medication tablets what are they looking at yeah so most and again it's it's difficult because people will have their own sort of individual uh process that they've gone through um and some people will, will be allergic to certain types of medications or it will conflict with medications they're already taking but in general rules uh, most people will start off an, on an anti-inflammatory um they usually um something like naproxen uh, will be started. But to be honest, the, those types of medications aren't very good for you in the long term. No. So they'll quite often try and get a longer lasting um, type of anti-inflammatory. Uh, they tend to end in Oxib, um, which doesn't affect your stomach so much. Um, so usually that will get started. And for a good majority of people, that will be sufficient to control their uh, symptoms. Um, variations on that is that um, if people have a lot of what we would call peripheral symptoms associated with their back. So if they've got arthritis of their feet or their hands or swelling or something like that, um, then the anti-inflammatories don't tend to do so well. Um, you tend to need to do more uh, medical management than that. So there are um, what we would call disease-modifying um, anti-rheumatic drugs or DMARDs, um, and they will tend to be the next line of treatment if that is if the anti-inflammatories are not working. Um, but a lot of people nowadays with the advent of what's called biologics, um, which are basically super targeted anti-inflammatories. So they go in at a specific point of the inflammatory uh, process. They're called anti-TNF um, drugs. So there's a, um, a protein in your, um, in your in your blood called TNF alpha, which stimulates that inflammatory process. Uh, you'll start on an anti-TNF drug and that they are extremely effective um, at reducing the symptoms so um, and very, very quickly. So usually it's this escalating process, which to be honest, happens quite rapidly. Um, there are rules on getting the anti-TNF medications because unfortunately they're incredibly expensive. Um, and also they have side effects which need to be considered before prior to taking them. Um, but essentially most people will start with an anti-inflammatory unless that's unless they're unable to take that. And then most people will either go to a disease modifying medication or an anti-TNF uh, quite rapidly if their symptoms aren't settled. Like I said, the the uh, best prognosis is if you're diagnosed early and if you're then then after that, if your symptoms are managed early, that's the best. So they are quite aggressive with their medical management in the short term and then will pull back as necessary um, over time. So that would be the, the main thing that physiotherapy, osteopathy, those kind of treatments, they're really good, but they will not affect the um, inflammatory process and you know, it's something that it has to be medically managed as well as those other things which can be helpful. Um, so, you know, again, it's one of those things where um, physiotherapists and osteopaths, we sort of know, need to know our place when we see these, when we see people who have been diagnosed yeah. with this um, as to how we can help and how we can affect it. And sometimes my job has been before that someone's come with a diagnosis, but they're not well medically managed. They've not seen rheumatology for a while. Um, and actually, I just say, you know, you need to go back and have your medications looked at um, before we do anything else, really. So, so the, the medical perspective is just getting that inflammation under control, reducing the pain levels. And then once those pain levels and you know, stiffness and those other symptoms have reduced, that's when you come in, in terms of your physiotherapy role and look at lifestyle factors and other things, which, you know, from the other side of it. So are there some key things which you find that you typically offer in the patients whose medication is under control and their pain levels have started to subside? 
um, in things that you you know that you are likely to offer on a day to day basis? Yeah. So um, interestingly, actually, the the biggest bang for buck treatment is to avoid smoking. Really. Um, so all, we do all these fancy things that I learned in, learned in university and sort all, all this kind of thing. Yeah. Actually, not smoking is way more effective than any of them. So um, what we know is people who smoke, um, on average, their disease is about twenty five percent worse, and the medications are twenty five percent less effective. So and it's um, sort of a linear graph. So um, it, even if so, let's say you smoke twenty a day and you went down to eighteen, that is a significant difference. And then down to 16, 14, 30, et cetera, um, even cutting down makes a big difference. So that's pretty much the first thing I go to. If people go, I don't smoke, then I clap my hands together and we crack on with some other stuff. Um, so, yeah, if anybody is listening who has axial spondyloarthritis and smokes, the first thing I would say to you is stop, <laughs> uh, which, which is easier said than done, obviously. But um, it is the biggest thing that will make a big di- make a difference. Um, going on from there, really, it's about, as you said, lifestyle factors. So um, the more active people can stay, the better, the healthier diet um, they can have. So I don't really have any specific advice on that um, other than, you know, not my usual joke is don't eat McDonald's every day. But it's. Um, they talk about Mediterranean diets, so lots of fish, lots of tomatoes, those kind of things. It's just healthy, yeah. healthy eating. Cut out the crap, basically. Cut out the crap, yeah, essentially. Um, those things, um, yeah, and just general exercise. So keeping as active as possible. A lot of people nowadays, even I'm a physiotherapist and I work from a desk, so we all have quite sedentary lives and yeah. it's about being as active as active as possible. What's really interesting is when I first started in rheumatology, Eight years ago, we used to prescribe loads and loads and loads and loads of stretches because people were were feeling stiff and they, you know, even further down the line, if any of their joints were fused, they, um, you know, they lack range of motion. Um, and it was really hot on stretching. Whereas actually now what we realize is it doesn't really matter what activity you do, that's going to be effective. So it's it's much more important that you it happens regularly than it is specific, if that makes sense. So I always say to people, it's really funny when people come in because they're asking me for specific advice and I'm just going, what would you like to do? <laughs> How would you like to do that? Brilliant. And I just basically reflect it back on them. Um, and if they like gardening or they like walking or like lifting weights or, or whatever it is, that's what we'll then work towards Continue uh, to improve. Um, I always say to people, you know, we have um, we have guidelines on how much activity we should do. So um, basically about 150 minutes, a, 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 sorry, 150 minutes a week where you get your heart rate up and it doesn't matter how you do that. Um, so if you walk the dog quickly for a while or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Or if you want to go running or lifting weights, et cetera. Outside of that, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Most people with these inflammatory conditions absolutely love the swimming pool. Um, and you can do anything in a swimming pool. You can, yeah. you know, from getting your heart rate up to to resistance work, et cetera. Um, but it just takes the uh, takes the weight out of your spine. So some good facts are uh, if you go into water up to your belly button, you're only taking about 50% of your body weight through your spine. If you go up to your nipples, it's only about 20%. Wow. And up to your neck, it's only about five. So you really take the pressure out of the whole thing. And that allows you to move and do all your exercises. So um, whilst whilst the water-based exercises aren't, in inverted commas, necessary, they are quite enjoyable and yeah. doable for most people and, it, and it, a really good gateway into doing more exercise, really. And it's something I give to 
a lot of my patients just with you know the other side of back pain mm. is being in the water you know when these people are, are doubled over or arched over or off to one side because they're in so much pain i really encourage them to get into the water or however it is just to sit there and you can do some really gentle stretches walking around in the water without that you know 50 percent, 70 percent load off your off your spine so it makes a huge huge difference and it just helps to mobilize some of those joints a bit so glad we're on on board with that <laughs> besides yeah, exactly. So besides smoking, is there anything else that they shouldn't do in terms of activity or exercises? Are there particularly there are? Um, I mean, again, it it very occasionally if people have um, sort of very specific um, fusion, for example, yeah. of some of their spinal joints, then some loaded exercises probably aren't the best idea. But to be honest, that's few and far between. And most of the time they would naturally avoid that movement. Um, But really, no, what we haven't seen anything in most people don't like it when I start talking about research. But um, when (laughs) when they look at uh, the research of exercise types, actually, it doesn't matter how well controlled your your um, your Axpar is or sort of where you're at in the process. You can do pretty much anything you like and it won't make it worse. So um, it won't make blood results worse. It won't make imaging worse. It won't make you worse in the long term. It might hurt, but those are two different things. Okay. Um, so you, um, yeah, you might cause yourself some pain over over the short term. But I would say, you know, as long as um, a couple of caveats to that, as long as the pain is reduced to where it was before you started within about 24 hours, then you're probably fine. If you're doing an exercise and it's making you cry, that's probably not. It's not going to do any harm, but it's not fun. I'd probably start so, to say I advise that for most people, actually. That's yeah, <laughs> exactly. So most people, it's, it's common sense for most people. So if the pain pain is going up and lasting for longer than 24 hours, that's not ideal. Or if it's causing a real swelling of a particular joint. Yeah. So let's say you do a load of walking, your ankle swells up. That's not great. I mean, it, again, it's not really going to cause you any harm in the long term but it's just not nice to deal with and you don't need to to deal with that. Um, But really you can do whatever you want. Um, I would ease into things, um, especially if they're new to you, um, I would ease into the types of exercise or how much you do. So start off, you know, with a, let's take walking for example, because it's easy. Um, You know, if you know that you can walk for five minutes and before things start getting really bad, then just ease up. So you just go six seven eight over a period of time and see how you go um but other than and and the same with weights just gently lift heavier and heavier weights and see how you get on but really like we said before there isn't anything wrong with the tissues that are painful um it's the inflammatory process causing them to hurt um so you know they they can take as much load as they ever did before um so it's not like you're suddenly going to lift something and it's going to snap or anything like that. So really the the more you can do the better, but it's got to be within a tolerable range. So there's a butter zone in there somewhere. And again, yeah. like you said, the pool is a brilliant place to really push itself. Fantastic. So moving on then, you mentioned NAS before, mm-hmm. um, and I know they're a fantastic resource, but do you want to explain a bit more about what NAS are, N-A-S-S for those who are. Yeah. So they are, um, so they are a charity. They, the, um, I'm going to, get lynched for not knowing but it's about two weeks ago they changed their names they used to be national ankylosing spondylitis society but as we talked about that's a little bit of an outdated term now so they changed to national uh, axial spondyloarthritis society which for them is super easy name change at least they didn't change that have to change the letters yeah very useful actually for them <laughs> perfect yeah. yeah 
So um, their website is nas.org.uk. Um, and really, it's the place to go for any information that you want about inflammatory um, sort of back problems, really, or rheumatic black back problems. Um, they've got beyond belief amounts of booklets, information, web links. Um, I think they've even got webinars on there now for, you know, learning that way. Yeah. Um, just so much information, how to work, how to exercise, how to sleep. Um, all those sorts of things. Um, that would be the first place that I would go for anybody, including physiotherapists. I send yeah. people there before I send them to my own website. And their their YouTube channel as well also has a lot of very whether that's on the website as well, I'm not sure, but their YouTube yeah. channel has a lot of resources, interviews with consultants, explaining diagnoses and explaining medication. And it's a really good resource for someone that may have just been diagnosed or have been diagnosed a long time and have just been kind of left as you as you put it before. You know, it's uh, haven't really got it under control. Wonderful. So where can people go to find out more about you, Jack, if they were interested in you specifically, specifically or physiotherapy for this? Where can they look you up? Um, yeah, so I uh, I do. I have got a website. It's rheumatology.physio, um, which is a bit grandiose, but um, <laughs> I managed to get a hold of that. So it was always good. Um, it's mostly directed at physiotherapists, but um, uh, the I have had some patients sort of give, send me some in, send me some messages saying they found it really useful. Um, there's quite a, got blogs on there. There's quite a lot of blogs on there and links to anything else that I find that are useful. Um, so that's, so that's where I, I send most people. I'm on Twitter. If people want to contact me at physio Jack, um, which again, I got a hold of, which is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, I do run like a consulting service, uh, which is remote, which is sort of private access. If people want to speak to me directly, um, it's in a, it's a, sort of a bit in its infancy and it's a bit difficult to, um, to get hold of cause it hasn't really got its own location. But if people just uh, message me through Twitter, I can set it up. Um, I'll do, I do, um, assessments and give advice and all that kind of thing, um, as an appointment, um, which is, which I can offer as well. Uh, that should be more widely accessible soon with any luck. Fantastic. Good luck so with that's that. that thing. So that about wraps up everything for today. Unless there's anything else you think we've left off or forgotten today, Jack, then we can add it in now. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I just say to people, if if, if people have been diagnosed, then um, don't smoke and, ex and do as much exercise as possible. Yeah. And if people are, you know, if people are concerned that their back pain is caused by something that isn't um, sort of normal, um, then I would reassure them it, it is pretty rare um, and, you know, like we spoke about those the symptoms we suggested um plus if they've got a if they have psoriasis or crohn's or something and they have back pain that's persisting for any period of time then just mention those things to the gp again on the nas website they've got like i said they've got those little posters they're called back pain plus um even print that out take it to the gp is perfectly acceptable thing to do um and it they give a much better account of than i do of um of, of what those conditions sort of are how they're associated together so just either reassure people or sort of confirm in their mind that they need it investigating a little bit further um but if if what i always say to people and it, i don't like to i have to be careful how i word it because i don't what well, don't mean to be critical of anybody but if you feel like someone said that it could be either ankylosing spondylitis or axial spondyloarthritis, and you haven't been referred to a rheumatologist, that's incorrect. You need to be. Um, I can't rule out. I mean, I can make a good guess because I've worked in this for a long time, but technically I can't rule it out or rule it in 
as a diagnosis. Um, and I would hope that when people speak to me and ask that question, I can give them good enough reasoning to reassure them that they don't need to go to a rheumatologist. But equally, if I couldn't, then I should be referring them on. Um, but again, you you do need to be careful that the, the local pathways. So um, some local pathways would be rather than rheumatology to go to a spinal specialist physiotherapist who would do the same sorts of things. Yeah. And they will have criteria um, that if you meet it, you go on to, re to a rheumatologist if you don't then obviously you don't so you do have to be you might have been investigated and not quite know so it's not that you've been dismissed or anything like that it might just be a complicated local pathway um, but if someone said to you I think this could be axial spondyloarthritis and then not referred you to rheumatology that is incorrect that needs sort of challenging really needs to be challenged Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Jack. That's been really, really helpful. And I think for people out there who are concerned or have a diagnosis, then that would have brought to light a lot of things which they can really, really benefit from from hearing. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. And uh, everybody, have a look up Jack on his, on his social medias. I'm sure he's got lots of key information out there as well. Thank you very much for joining us. And we will see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot, Rob. Bye-bye. <laughs>